0: Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's you here. And I'm Gabby.
1: And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives...
2: of oddities join cat and jethro gilligan toth for the strange the bizarre the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities things that cat
1: said last night when we had a bonfire out in our yard I did enjoy the story about the set of quality pajamas that uh, you were you were gonna buy and decided not to. Oh,
0: the um, they were a little short set, yeah. and uh, the top said "Trust the Universe," which uh. is a vibe that I've been very like on lately. Sure. So yeah. I thought, hey, wouldn't it be appropriate to get pajamas that kind of mirror my state of mind?
1: And, and why didn't why didn't you get them?
0: Um, because the, the because of the fabric. What, I just chose not to buy what, that fabric. What,
1: what's wrong with the fabric?
0: I told you what was wrong with the fabric. You're just trying to embarrass me. <laughs>
1: she she didn't buy her Trust the Universe pajamas because her dry hand skin snagged on the material. I <laughs>
0: didn't like the way it felt on my dry skin. You <laughs> well, need to hydrate. So what you got for me? I wanted to talk today about Agnes Sorrell. She is considered the first officially recognized royal mistress of a french king oh yes so we don't know exactly when agnes and charles the 7th of france started their relationship but we can reasonably estimate when they met The king had captured Toulouse, and René of Anjou and his wife, Isabel, set out to greet the king. And it was the first meeting for King Charles and Isabel, and Agnes was probably part of Isabel's entourage. Entourage. So Sorel then went to serve as the lady-in-waiting for Marie, Charles VII's wife, and Isabel's sister-in-law. So it's like they went to visit, they had an employee, and Charles VII was like, you should come work for us. Ah, uh, mm-hmm. okay. Agnes had blonde hair, blue eyes, she was very pale and thin. She was just the epitome of contemporary beauty. This is according to the FreelanceHistoryWriter.com. Initially, we don't know when things started between the two of them because they were very discreet at first. One chronicler actually said that Charles never touched her below the chin in public. But we do know that King Charles VII declared that he was going to leave his pregnant wife in 1444 for Agnes.
1: Wow, that's scandalous.
0: Mm. She was 22 at the time, and her status solidified when Charles granted her with the title Maîtresse Antitrée. Ooh, that sounds fancy. Well, with that title, she became the first officially recognized royal mistress.
1: Okay, all right. So that essentially means royal mistress. Yep. Wow.
0: And she got all the privileges of courtly life. So Charles gave her wealth and castles and lands secured for her, essentially the distinction of a queen. She was allowed in court, but her presence was not always welcomed there. Hmm. It seemed that a lot of people found her being there very distasteful. (laughs) Um, And this... Appeared to fuel Agnes. She don't give a shit.
1: I see. This was motivation for
2: her.
0: Sorell generated scandal at court, particularly for popularizing her fashion sense. She loved a low-cut gown. <laughs> like a low-cut gown. Really? Yeah. She also made a habit of keeping her low-cut gowns unlaced, So that her breasts were exposed.
1: Well, that's one way to get ahead.
0: Yeah. Me and Mrs.
1: Sorrell.
2: (laughs) Mrs. Sorrell, Mrs. Sorrell, Mrs. Sorrell.
1: (laughs) We got a thing going
2: going on.
1: on.
0: So her boobies were out. They were. And sometimes... Uh, this was imitated by ladies in the area, not necessarily the the nips being out, mm-hmm. but the low cut gowns. Okay. You know, it was becoming more popular the the longer she was in court. Um, but it was also shunned.
1: She so her nips were out. Yeah. Oh, okay. oh yeah. So now, there were
0: times where you could see like her full on teddies.
1: So she was allowed to go into the royal court. Oh yeah. And she knew that the members of the royal family, some of them, Mm -hmm. despised her. Yep. They shunned her.
0: The queen still lived on premises.
1: So she thought, I'm just going to go in with my tatties out. Yep. I love this woman. Oh, my God. Yep, just like that.
0: Now- Jean Juvenal de Ursin, the Archbishop of Reims, consoled the king and he said that you need to like get this in line. This is not okay. Mm. This is not something that we need to have going on. He called for the king to correct such fashions as front openings through which one (laughs) sees the teats, nipples and breasts of women. But Agnes, as I said, did not care Mm, mm -hmm. what you have to say. She was the official mistress of the king and you had nothing to say about it. Thank you very much. Enjoy your day. She enjoyed cultivating luxury, engaging in conspicuous consumption and appearing in sumptuous clothing.
1: I wonder if King Charles VII, was it? Mm -hmm. Um, What his reaction was when she, the first day she walked into the court (laughs) with her golden bozos out. I wonder if he just kind of went, you know,
0: probably a little thought, bit, like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, 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 uh huh, oh, yeah,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh, that Agnes. <laughs>
0: <laughs> now we've talked about sumptuary laws before. Two centuries before Agnes was was part of this whole sitch, King Louis the Ninth had passed an act that prohibited the wearing of diamonds by anyone but the king. Okay, so Agnes had some diamonds. You bet your ass she did. Mm-hmm. She wore big necklaces that accentuated her cleave so that y- your eyes were drawn not just to her outy boobies mm-hmm. but this huge icy necklace. It said that Charles the 7th had been in a real funk before they got together and so he was really happy to just let her do whatever she <laughs> wanted. He was mm-hmm. sad She came into his life. He wasn't sad anymore. So it's like, yeah, but I mean, bring those shirt potatoes out. (laughs) He actually gave her the Chateau de Loc, which was a huge castle constructed in the ninth century. That castle would actually become a favorite of Charles VII because he had been persuaded by Joan of Arc to be crowned King of France there. Wow. So he gave that to Agnes as her private residence. Nice. It's enormous.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. I'll bet it is.
0: She favored wearing long veils. They went down to the ground. She wore uh, dresses with trains so long that the amount of fabric that had to be used for them was just outrageous. <laughs> She purchased incredible quantities of silk and cloth woven with gold. And garments actually started to be made using Sorrel's name in their descriptors. So there was an Agnes Sorrel bodice and an Agnes Sorrel corsage and a fashion style named for her as well, the Agnes Sorrel style, which is kind of like a princess style of dressing, minus the boobs being out of here. Well,
1: me. yeah, that's an acquired taste.
0: So Queen Marie... As I said, still on premise, Mm -hmm. managed to stay on good terms with Agnes, despite the fact that she had to deal with Agnes every day, being in her household with her toots out. (laughs) (laughs) And (laughs) Marie had to like... Manage Agnes's household in addition to her own. It's the queen's job to manage her household, but the official mistress of the king doesn't have that job, but she does have a household. So oh. it was also the queen's job to manage the official mistress of the king's household.
1: Huh. And she remained on good terms.
0: Yeah, they did okay. Wow. Yeah. Apparently, Agnes was very agreeable. I don't know. Um, Were they
1: lovers, too?
0: There's nothing that says that that was a thing. That
1: would have been an interesting twist.
0: But I did read a little bit more about Queen Marie, and she's a really interesting character as well, and we might talk about her more later. She had goats, but (laughs) anyway.
1: (laughs) Okay. Not quite as headline-stealing as your tatties all hanging out, but... But she had goats, so cool.
0: Agnes dressed more magnificently than the queen. Um, She had better jewelry by far. Agnes always dined at a better table than the queen. No shit. Because the king had essentially said, we're not doing this anymore. Wow, Wow. So I don't know exactly how that works when the king and the queen aren't really the king and the queen anymore. They're mm-hmm. just the king, and then the queen's over there, and then Agnes moves in. Sure, yeah. Well,
1: again, I'm amazed that uh, the queen and Agnes didn't kill each other.
0: Well, Agnes is doing fine. She She's not got anything to worry about. She's got her milk makers out, and she's just mm-hmm. having a good time. Sure. She also had considerable influence in transforming Charles the VII's politics. Um, Of course, he, as I said, he had really changed in character. And so people didn't like that Agnes had a say in how he was ruling. They also didn't like this new tradition of a politically significant royal mistress. They didn't like that that might be a thing now. Mm. One of the people who had a real problem with this was Louis, who was one of King Charles's Sons. He was really resentful that Agnes had displaced his long suffering mother, and his mom continued to suffer with Agnes and her memories all, all the time. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Another chronicler reports that one day in 1444, and this is again according to the freelance Louis ran into Agnes and exclaimed, By our lord's passion, this woman is the cause of all our misfortunes. He then reportedly punched her in the face.
1: Oh, no. Which does
0: not make me like Agnes less.
1: Mm -mm, Mm-mm. Mm-mm.
0: But not everyone was so anti-Agnes.
1: No, she had those prominent dingle bobbers.
0: Exactly. Painter Jean Fouquet was so inspired by Agnes's Grand Tetons, that he used her as a model for his painting, The Virgin and the Child, Surrounded by Angels. Agnes, as the Virgin Mary, sat on a throne dressed in blue, an ermine cape around her shoulders, one of her boobs out revealing a full-on milk-white breast, wow! the size of the infant lord's head. <laughs> and people were pissed mm-hmm. wow. that this wow. scandalous sex mistress was being portrayed as our lord mother.
1: Sure, I can see where that would raise one's heckles back then.
0: And he was like, no, no, I'm just, I'm talking about boobies here. You just get it. You don't, you're not getting it. It's art.
1: It's an effigy of the Virgin Mary with her chest banjos out.
0: It's just about the totters. Okay. So, while pregnant with their fourth child, Agnes journeyed in midwinter to join Charles on the front. I guess he was doing some sort of war business and so she went to offer moral support. But while there, she became suddenly very ill. It was assumed with dysentery. Mm. After giving birth, it was a very uh, not good birth, by the way. Very not good, I think. Uh, medical it's a medical term. medical term. Yeah. Um, she and her daughter both died on the 9th of February, 1450. Agnes was 28 years old. Wow. Now, after her death, Charles obviously devastated. He elevated her to the title of Duchess so that he could have like the most redonk funeral for her. He ordered there was a monument to be built in her image. She was buried in the Abbey Church along with her newborn daughter, but her heart was stored <laughs> at the Abbey. Like Her heart? Her heart? Yeah, I know. Not the part that you thought that they would save out. Not
1: her sweater meat.
0: So obviously she was pretty young. um, And it was assumed that she died from complications of childbirth or maybe childbirth plus dysentery. It wasn't real clear. But as I said, she was young and her death was unexpected. So uh, when you take that into consideration, along with the fact that there was a lot of resentment toward her and her power in Mm. the court, it spurred rumors Of poisoning, and that it circulated down through the centuries. So, in 2005, her skeletal remains were unearthed and examined, and forensic tests confirmed that there was an enormous amount of mercury in her body Uh, at the time of her death. uh, Once again, mercury. Weird. Evidence also suggested that Agnes suffered from parasites, and mercury was a common treatment for this problem, but not that amount of mercury. But when you consider that mercury was also used to treat women in difficult labors...
1: So you think maybe it was um, an unintentional overdose... Because of the various afflictions that she was fighting?
0: Possibly, but the, again, the massive amount of mercury in her system. Somebody
1: dosed her. It
0: does hint at foul play. So there are theories of who might have killed her. I think it's Louis. It's one of the big ones. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, it's Louis.
0: If, in fact, she was murdered. But that was almost 600 years ago, and we may never know. But you can easily Google Agnes Sorrell tater tots and you're going to see many pieces of art illustrating one of her boobs out. Just one. Well, here's the thing is the way that I found out about Agnes Sorrell was a meme that mistakenly said that she had just one favorite boob and she would pop that bad boy out. I see. Which is not the case. She just liked for both of them to be out, but the meme was wrong, as they so often are.
1: I'm going to look up some more euphemisms for breasts. Hang on, give me a second here. Oh, okay. Uh, Popcorn balls, candy apples, brown-eyed Susans.
0: Brown-eyed Susans doesn't sound pleasant at all.
1: Hubcaps.
0: That sounds like a name for your butthole.
1: Dynamic duo go karts. What? What? I think one of the funniest ones I ever heard was in in an episode of The Office, and they were talking about uh, getting a breast exam, and Michael said, "You you really should get those checked out because those are ticking time bags."
2: <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh. <clears throat> Funny but true. You know, you should. Oh, yeah. Get him.
0: What is it, like the second of every month you're supposed to do a breast self-exam in the shower? Maybe that was just a local campaign. I don't know. Feel them up.
1: Have Alexa remind you, and hope that she doesn't remind you while you have company.
2: And now, that thing in the middle.
1: People have believed some pretty strange things throughout history. For example... In the 1800s, people with long beards were believed to be insane. Although Joseph Palmer was mocked, attacked, and stabbed because he had a beard, he refused to shave it off. He had a monument of his bearded face on his tombstone, purely out of spite. His grave reads, persecuted for wearing a beard.
2: It's the podcast that's like that hidden pothole in the highway. Once you're in the middle of it, there's no going back. This is The Box of Oddities.
1: I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our Aura Frame, the more I love it. I have kids.
2: With Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Marcy sent us an email
1: and uh, she recommended a topic, which I'm not going to uh, say because I want to do it and I don't want you to steal it. Uh, she said, also, I just listened to the podcast with the thing in the middle in the middle about people who had objects stuck up their butts. Yeah. <laughs> well, I just wanted to say I went to high school with Cucumber Girl. You can guess what happened. Oh, no. LOL. I think every school had somebody like that, like a a cucumber person, or, you know, the rumors, you know, with the vegetables and the orifices and... (laughs) Anybody? No? Okay. I guess it was just my school. (laughs) Nope. Here's something that might interest you. Uh, Oh,
0: yes. What you got for me?
1: The 19th century, we all know, was filled with all sorts of... Feces? ...and medical quackery. But yes, feces as well. (laughs) Doctors, of course, at the time weren't as knowledgeable as they are today, and the public was even more undereducated. Uh, it was pretty easy to fool the public. It created a wave of scam artists and quack doctors.
0: Sure. I always think of those open-sided carts yeah. that, you know, that opened up and it'd say, like, Dr., Brenner's magic cure-all laxative. Right.
1: History suggests that scam artists and quack doctors outnumbered real doctors by about three to one. But there was one quack who was the quackiest of all quacks, and his name was James Morrison. In the 1820s, uh, James was quite ill, or at least that's how his story goes. No one knows for sure what he claimed to be ill from, uh, but he he said he was sick for about 35 years in Uh, his life. What? Yeah, 35 years in, quote, inexpressible suffering.
0: Oh, my goodness.
1: And the doctors were never able to help him. So he decided... He was going to heal himself.
0: <laughs> I just wasn't expecting 35 years. Yeah, 35 like, years. That's what he said. three or four months. Or, no, no. 35 years.
1: He believed that all of the ailments, even pain, was the result of defective blood. And as far as Morrison felt, real doctors made things too complicated. Now, he wasn't too off base, really when it came to that because doctors believed at the time that nothing could purge the impurities and restore a patient's health as effectively as draining them of their blood right Uh, a good bloodletting was often the prescription
0: oh for sure nothing makes a patient feel better than by taking out some of their blood
1: yeah bleed them out of course that's a delicate dance because too little blood there was no effect too much blood you died Uh, this is when he came up with the concept of forced defecation.
0: Oh, no. That yeah. sounds terrible.
1: This was his theory. And <laughs> if, and on the surface, I can get on board with it. He thought if pooping was good for you, then pooping a lot was great for you. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you can't really argue with that
0: theory. I mean, I can. I
1: can. It depends on how much, I think. In 1825, Morrison concocted this l- little pill that uh, was all natural the ingredients were rhubarb, cream of tartar, myrrh. Basically, he came up with a super laxative. And he claimed that his miracle pill could cure not just a particular disease, but all diseases. Oh, wow. And any health issues from smallpox to to pimples, to dysentery. You to,
0: just got to shit it out. Yeah, to fevers.
1: Even if you talked in your sleep, if you pooped enough, it would stop that. Yeah, the pills became known as the universal pill because of that reason, or Morrison's pill.
0: He didn't really think that though, right?
1: No, this was part of his scamming. His pills came in two different strengths, number one and number two. (laughs) He marketed this magic capsule as a medication that could be taken as often as needed, and the more you took, the healthier you became.
0: I can't imagine how unpleasant that would be, especially during this time when they didn't have like wet wipes and soft, gentle, Mm -hmm. moistened
1: towelettes. They were using uh, corn cobs (laughs) back in those days. Anywhozel, in 1968, an author and uh, English folklorist, his name was Eric Maple, wrote a book called magic medicine, and quackery. And he said in that book that Morrison's miracle pills were, quote, the most remarkable rubbish that the century had seen so far. (laughs) The big problem that Morrison had to overcome was the fact that uh, he wasn't a doctor. So he had the British College of Health name him their chief hygienist. Now, why would the British College of Health do such a thing?
0: Did he have money?
1: No, he invented the British College of Health.
0: No. It
1: didn't exist. He just made it up. The British College of Health, of course, sounded very official. Yes. Uh, but it was just more rubbish that he came up with. Uh, but it worked. It helped build his credibility.
0: It's, I mean, I can identify with this guy because I am accredited by the main school of Accreditation. Oh. Yeah. Um
1: what are you accredited in?
0: Accreditation.
1: Accreditation. Yeah. Wow.
0: So <laughs> I can tell you right away that
1: So that... you you can accreditate people. I
0: can accredit, yeah.
1: Okay. Awesome. At the same time, he flooded the market with advertisements about his miracle cure using testimonials and endorsements from patients and other people in the field of medical quackery. No no legitimate doctors, of course. Just no. Other quacks.
0: Employees of the Mm. British College of Health.
1: And accreditation. And
0: accreditation, of course, yes.
1: Of course, any credible doctor didn't endorse this, quote, miracle cure. In fact, they uh, they denounced it. So Morrison waged a PR war against doctors. Uh, Most of his ads encouraged people to take his laxative pills and don't tell the doctors. Don't consult them. He said, consulting with the doctors is a waste of time. He encouraged people to start a regiment of forced defecation and to keep it up as long as they wanted. Stop it. And the longer you did it, the healthier you'd become. In other words, the more pills you buy. Right. Yeah. One of his ads reads, quote, are not trees and plants treated as a whole? So it should be with the human body issued by the british college of health new road london 4 and on behalf of the body of hygienists who contend that all diseases proceed from an impurity of the blood and should therefore be treated with the universal medicine uh. which being comprised of innocuous ingredients can be taken without the advice of a doctor
0: but i okay so his his theory was that the the bad blood yeah. is what's making you ill. Mm-hmm. So are you shitting out your bad blood, or is uh, the maybe? How his, does that work his, exactly? I don't know. Maybe
1: his theory was that a lot of poop in your system was poisoning the blood. Okay, and so removing it would help purify poop it. Poop
0: is made of the bad things in your right, body, right? And so when sure. you're forcing yourself to repeatedly crap. Mm-hmm. You're, you're getting all that bad stuff right, out. Right,
1: In 1828, he published the Morisiana, which was a promotional book uh, about his pill that was 700 pages long. Wow. 700 pages of reasons why his laxative pills could cure anything.
0: And why you shouldn't
1: believe your doctors. And, and better than any doctor could do it. Sure. Yeah. He said in his book, quote, to convince the world, I am ready to take them in any dose and for any length of time. And numbers of other people have done the same thing and always to great benefit. The more they take, the greater is the good. Of course, Morrison was right about the absurdity of bloodletting. You know, I I can agree with that. And he used that to uh, attack doctors, saying they just want to bleed you out. The medical community didn't like that. So Thomas Wakeley, who was the founding editor of the medical journal The Lancet, which is still published today, Mm. he made it his mission to discredit the pill's effectiveness and uh, the theories behind them. Many other physicians joined in the campaign against Morrison. They warned the public that he was nothing more than a humbug, a fraud, a quack, But people didn't want to believe it.
0: Right. Well, I'm sure that since he had already set up that idea Mm -hmm. in their heads that the doctors were against him. Right.
1: It was preemptive gaslighting. Um, So they didn't want to believe him. Well, at least sick people didn't want to believe him. They were looking for a quick fix. Of course. And he played on that. Morrison countered with more testimonials in his advertising. In 1832, an edition of the Spectre. Or the Spectator, a man claimed his wife had suffered with chest pains for well over a decade. She had sought the best medical advice available, it said, but nothing helped. Quote, then she was introduced to apply your pills by which, after undergoing a regular dose of a few weeks, she was entirely cured. And then there was this other guy who claimed the pills cured his hernia. He said, quote, I I think it would aggravate it more, all the straining. He said, quote, I tried many sorts of bandages and trusses, but without effect. Ordering two boxes of Morrisons, which I have taken according to the instructions given, I am happy to say my rupture has not troubled me since.
0: The thing is, you're trading one sort of discomfort for another. Like you're being forced to shit repeatedly. Yeah, that's that's a that's a bad thing. That's a symptom of something going awry. I don't have chest pains anymore, but
1: my butthole's on fire,
0: <laughs> and I cannot leave the loo.
1: So he tells all these stories, but the story that Morrison was telling, he was really not uh, weaving a tale of reality. Especially when it came to, you know, so many of the people taking his pills when they started dying. That was kind of, uh, you know. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. One case that was written about was that of a 15-year-old girl who, quote, died in a horrible distress. Highly publicized incident in uh, 1836. One of Morrison's salesmen, whose name was Robert Salmon, was convicted of manslaughter when he administered 1,000 pills to Captain John McKenzie, who was suffering from knee pain.
0: Oh my gosh. Yeah,
1: he had tried many things. He had leeches on his knees and stuff, and none of that worked. So, yeah, 1,000 pills. A year later, 12 more deaths were linked to overdoses of Morrison's poop pills. Morrison blamed his salesman he made them the scapegoat. Of course. He also decided that it would be in his best interest to flee London and move to Paris. Uh, This was in 1834. After he left, another of his vendors was convicted of manslaughter after yet another death.
0: Oh my gosh, that's terrible.
1: There were lots of ads that came out mocking Morrison. Many cartoonists uh, made him a a subject of ridicule as well. A record, a recurring theme was a cartoon image of a patient sprouting vegetables instead of appendages and like a tree limb instead of a nose because they had taken so much of his vegetable powder pills. The humor doesn't translate across the Yeah, no, the I don't decades. like that. No. The bad publicity and the warning by the medical community did nothing to stop the sale of these pills. People were dying and they didn't care. They still bought them.
0: Well, they already had that idea in their yeah, mind.
1: right. And did this uh, make Morrison want to back off? No, he doubled down on it. He suggested that people weren't taking
0: enough. No.
1: He reminded the public in his ads that his miracle pills might not work right away, but that was no reason to give up. Quote, to those taking Morrison's pills, we say, do not stop taking them when you feel worse. Rather, increase the doses. You must feel worse when the medicines begin to act upon the foul, acrimonious humors of the body, which often have been left to fix themselves with almost fatal grasp on the intestines, and many times made stronger
0: still by mercurial and other
1: hurtful poisons.
0: Wow, this guy just does not give a crap if he kills people.
1: Well, well, no, but all of his patients gave a lot of craps. Yes. At the age of 70 in the year 1840... James Morrison met his own demise.
0: Did he shit himself to death?
1: There's no official account mm. of him overdosing from his own pills. But uh, when they found his body, he had a mouthful of them. What? Yeah.
0: That's weird.
1: His quackery, however, earned him an estimated 500,000 pounds, British pounds, back in the day. That would be about 51 million pounds today, or 71 million U.S. dollars. Wow. But not even his death put an end to the sales of his forced defecation pills. His sons carried on the family business and they continued to build his empire. And even further, people continued to die, but they also continued to buy his pills for decades, right up until Britain finally put a stop to the sales of his pills in 1920, nearly 100 what? years after his scam started. Wow. James Morrison, a 19th century grifter.
0: Wow. Yeah.
1: I got my information from Wikipedia and all that's interesting, a dot com. You know how they say that one man's trash is another man's treasure? Well, in this case, one man's poop was another man's treasure.
0: That was fascinating and shocking.
1: I love a good shock. Can you hear Banjo snoring? Yes. Oh, he's loud.
0: They finally settled down, and now it's time to go. I need sushi.
1: We'll see you next time.
0: Until then, keep flying that freak flag.
2: Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the box of oddities belongs to you, and its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those to whom I report, to beseech you for assistance. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a 5-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a 5-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, The Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. The TheBoxOfOddities.com. Copyright 2021. All rights reserved.
0: So the king had... Tra- ha ha, this is going to be good. la la la, la. The arsonist had unusually large feet.
2: Hi, I'm Neil. And
1: I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia style game show where a lack of
0: seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps.
2: But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The Big Picture Questions and the Most Interesting Research in Science.